Today is June 10th, Season 3, Episode 17, Decky Row Machine. How are we? Oh, we're doing great, Andy Beef Tip. Boys, we, are, we have one hell of a podcast today. Um, I want to start with this. It's Famous Dave, the Famous Dave. And yes, we do ask him if he is the most famous Dave that he knows or there, that we there know are in million, the world. There are millions of Daves out there and he is the most famous. Correct. Confirmed. So we, we get that out of the way. Make sure you listen to that part. Um, but we got to talk about our, our little FOAG moment. We had to relocate our studio from the third floor to the first floor. Right when he walks in, he asks where our studio is, where's the setup, and I go, third floor? We just got to go up the, a couple of flights of stairs. And he just looks at me dead in the face. He goes, I don't do stairs. And I looked at him, and I go, all right. And we just ran upstairs, and we brought the studio to him. Yep, brought the studio downstairs, and we, had, we just did a nice little pseudo setup podcast studio in our uh, dining room. And we, do, we just did it. And we actually had one of my favorite conversations that we've probably ever had. And I'm excited for you guys to just tune into this. What you don't realize about Famous Dave is he's a motivational speaker. So enjoy that part of it. He's coming at you with a lot of fire. Absolutely. Enjoy. Hey, Deck. I got to be real with you. You got some of the worst apparel in the game out there. I would love to see you customize some shirts that just say, I have bad style. Mmm, Decky bad style. Let's make those shirts. The shock value would be insane. However... You know, turnaround time and quality, it needs to be there. That's a great point. I mean, we could launch this tomorrow with our own goddamn sponsor. Oh, I didn't even think of that. Well, well actually, I did because I wrote this ad, dude. But that's besides the point. And with that being said, be on the lookout for some decky bad style shirts and other custom apparel from the BP. But also, if you're like, man, I need to find someone to make great custom apparel for me, look no further. Hit us up at backpocket at visionarymfg.com. That's B-A-C-K-P-O-C-K-E-T at visionarymfg.com. Anderson, welcome to the Back Pocket Podcast. How are you doing today? I am rocking and rolling, hunky-dory, feeling groovy, setting the world on fire. Got a piggy by the tail. If I felt any better, they'd have to call police. That's Famous Dave for you, folks. What an intro. Love it. So what <laughs> Hey, I... there ain't no grass growing underneath these shoes. <laughs> I love it, man. Hey, so when I called you the for, for the first time, or when you called me, I texted you because we got in touch through uh, a mutual friend, Victor. And uh, he he's like, yeah, shoot him a text, um, ask him to come on the show, and so I did. And you you called me like within the minute, and you said had that that exact phrase when I asked how you're doing. I was like, I cannot wait to get this guy on so I can have that bit for life, and then use it myself. Is it okay if I use it? Hey, you're welcome to anything I, I've got. Love it. I'm all, all for making bites. the world a positive place. Love that man. Got to spread the joy. Awesome. Amen. Uh, and we were talking just off air how we got connected. And I know our listeners are right now. How are the back pocket boys talking to famous Dave himself? Well, it was a kind of a ironic little experience of us sitting at a Cinco de Mayo party. And then across the street, another family was having a Cinco de Mayo party. And um, Victor was at the uh, across the street. And he was a middle-aged parents were all together. And we went over there for some tacos and margaritas. 
and we talked to Victor, who was one of the the gentlemen over there, and it was crazy just talking First to First of his... all, Victor's not a gentleman. <laughs> I don't know about him? middle-aged parents. <laughs> I think, uh, Victor is one of these guys that's uh, very robust. He loves life. He brightens up every room he walks into, which is one of the reasons why I'm sure he brightened up your neighborhood and uh, invited you over to have some fun. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to get started um, just so so we've gotten to know you just a little bit. We've done some research on you. You know, as as a podcast, we always do our research. We pride ourselves on that. But could you give us kind of a story of how, A, you found the passion to just make your wings and make your ribs and just be having a passion for a barbecue and to opening your first store in Hayward? Well, first of all, I'm glad you asked about passion because I think there are a lot of frustrated people that are out there in the world going through life that haven't followed their passion and they're doing stuff they don't like to do. Mm. Uh, But, you know, I'm often asked, how did I get into barbecue? And I can honestly say that I didn't get into barbecue more than I was born into barbecue. My dad's a full-blood Choctaw Indian from Idabel, Oklahoma. My mom is from the Lacoudere tribe up in Hayward, Wisconsin. And if you know anything about Hayward, Wisconsin, it's way up north. If you know anything about Oklahoma, Oklahoma is a state way down south. But Idabel, Oklahoma is in the furthest southeast corner of the state. So how did some Indian kid from way down in the south uh, of Oklahoma meet some gal way up north? The unfortunate story is that both of my parents, when they were kids, were taken from their families and stuck in Indian boarding schools, basically uh, making them orphans to a degree. Uh, And uh, fortunately for me, though, my parents met at Haskell Institute for Indians in Lawrence, Kansas, uh, back some time ago. And uh, then my dad went into the war, World War II, in December 1945, came back. Um, My parents got married, and then they moved to Chicago, uh, where I was born. But Chicago at that time was where all the jobs were. But even as a little kid, I can remember uh, my, you know, always eating barbecue or southern food and my dad was very passionate about southern food he loved he loved the food of the south and when my parents first got married uh, living in chicago my dad used to haul my mom down south every other weekend till she learned how to make some good southern fried chicken honey buttered cornbread and all that good stuff so i grew up eating some of the best southern foods and as well as knowing where every barbecue joint, real barbecue joint, was in Chicago and as well as along all the roadways that were headed down south. So I can remember going to Lem's as as early as 1959 when they were on uh, 59th and State Street. Uh, uh, I, I knew every storefront barbecue joint in Chicago ever since. And uh, so I've always been passionate about real pit-smoked barbecue. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's America's food. Barbecue's, barbecue is how we celebrate. You know, if you want to have a good time, you invite your friends. You say, hey, come on over Friday and we'll have a backyard barbecue. barbecue. Good job. You guys uh, are figuring it out. You're figuring it out. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so you were traveling down south with your parents um, and you're getting to, getting to know all the different barbecue joints from uh, Georgia, 
uh, all the way up to Chicago and everywhere in between. I, 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 I would say in my lifetime, um, any place in the United States I, that has a hickory pit, I've been to. Okay. I've, I've been to every uh, mis- big mesquite pits in, in Texas. I've been to the, uh, you know, up in the upper uh, coast of Washington where they uh, smoke cedar and uh, smoke salmon. I've uh, been to some of the pits in, in North Carolina where they have huge pits. There, and they're there they're doing mutton. And I've been to some really huge uh, pig fries. Uh, so, uh, you know, barbecue has really been my life. Okay. And, I, and even growing up, I knew my family was different because when all the other little kids were going out for burgers and hot dogs and pizza in, in the city of Chicago... You know, my dad was packing us up, and we were headed down to the south side for rib tips. Yum. So, <laughs> love that. Yep. So I, I uh, what was uh, that? That's been my life. That's amazing. I love that, man. What was the uh, first like taste of barbecue you had where that it just had a switch in your in your brain where you're like, "Yep, I'm gonna make this, and I'm gonna make it better than anybody else." You, you know, I I actually remember that I, I was uh, I was a little kid. I was. Uh, Coming home from school, uh, we lived on uh, a street in Chicago that was three stories. You know, there was a, we lived in the top apartment, and I can remember coming home from school just a little kid. Uh, I don't know, I was probably in kindergarten or first grade or mm-hmm. something like that. And I can uh, remember opening up the, the 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 door to the to the place we were living, and this wonderful hickory aroma just was, came wafting out of the house and uh, and I can remember running up the stairs and uh, the closer I got to the you know the kitchen uh, opening up the kitchen and I can remember seeing my dad he had his lunch bucket and in that lunch bucket was these uh, hickory smoked ribs that were wrapped up in newspaper you know this is going back some time when folks didn't worry about you know things like, uh, you know, newspapers and what what was printed on them or mm-hmm. how what the, the ink, ink was the or ink, whatever. Yep. Uh, but anyway, I, I I can remember him taking these slow smoked ribs out of the newspapers and first time I I took a bite of one of those ribs where it just everything about it it was juicy it was you know, slathered with this homemade barbecue sauce and it was just smoky and oh my god it was just uh, making my mouth drool right now <laughs> uh, but I still remember that and, and, and right then I knew that someday I was going to learn how to make ribs like that that's awesome so how do you go from you know really loving it knowing you love it and then making it your life I mean, a business, well, I, a business. I, you know i i think that uh if ever i wrote a book i think the title might be uh how i turned my backyard grill into a 500 million dollar restaurant empire uh because i think my life really is a story of against all odds hmm. i don't think that uh my story is any different than anybody else who's ever started out with nothing. Um, you know, you talk about uh, humble roots. Uh, I really learned how to cook in my mom's Indian fry bread stand where uh, to raise extra money, my mom would uh, go to these Indian powwows and she would set up a uh, little food stand made out of saplings that were tied together on top in a, in a blue 
tarp or some kind of tarp was over it. And from that uh, from that food stand, my dad would uh, roast up some venison. My mom would make wild rice soup uh, and fry bread that we would sell to the people who were going to these Indian powwows. And, mm. and basically, I, that's how I learned how to cook. And uh, my mom always had the cleanest uh, food stand. Uh, my dad... Uh, you know, tended the fires. Uh, my mom cooked her Indian fry bread, and uh, uh, and who knew that from that, you know, there would at some time in the future, Famous Days would get born. Mm-hmm. And how far along was that when Famous Days first started uh, getting those blueprints together? Well, I don't know about blueprints. Uh, you know, I think, you know, I... I, I you know, I, I've seen few businesses actually get started off of a business plan. Uh, That's most, a great of, point. most, most of it, uh, most businesses get started because somebody has a passion. They love what they do, and other people, other people love what they do, which I think is one of the great secrets to success in life. You know, you don't, you don't go into business because you want to go in business. You go in business. You go into business because you make other people happy, and what you do is you solve problems for other people. If people are hungry, you know, you're going to sell them something. And you need to work hard. You need to be excellent at what you do uh, because if you can make the best ribs on the planet, people are going to want to eat the best pl- ribs on the planet. You know, they don't want to eat the second best ribs on the planet. Or, right. you know, they want to, they, they, they will travel hundreds of miles to, and I always call that my 100-mile rule, uh, how to judge whether or not a restaurant is worth going to. And, uh, you, you know, so Famous Dave's for me really got started uh, throughout the years. I would have backyard barbecues, and uh, the better I got uh, working on my recipes. And by the way, I think when you're really passionate about something, there's something, there's an inner drive that just motivates you and pushes you that you've got to be the best, or, or you're not willing uh, to give up on something being average. I, I don't believe in average because, you know, the definition of average is being worst of the best or best of the worst. And I think that everybody should strive to be their best. You know, it's mm. it's almost a, a religious, you know, it's a biblical thing that you got to work, work your damnedest and work your, you know, uh, and, and work as if you're working for God. So uh, you, you don't want to make lousy barbecue for God. And by the way, uh, a lot of people, uh, I, I, I share this because a lot of people don't know that barbecue actually got its start in the Old Testament. Really? Uh, yeah, a lot of people don't really understand that barbecue is really uh, a thing that Moses and Aaron got started back in the book of Leviticus. You know, um, the good Lord is telling Moses to tell Aaron to build him a pit, a well, he called it a uh, burnt offering, or he, you know, he needed to make a place to uh, do his burnt offering. So he said, "Make me an altar out of stone." Now we know all know that anything made out of stone that burns wood is nothing more than a barbecue pit. Mm. And, and, and then he told Moses, "Tell Aaron to go chase down his best goat." Didn't want any average goat. He wanted his best goat. So right there, the good Lord is setting standards for quality control. Wow. And so, um, 
uh, Aaron went and chased down their best goat, and uh, then the good Lord tells uh, Moses, tell Aaron again, that he needed to chop that goat up and wash it. So again, the good Lord is setting standards for cleanliness. Uh, you know, he just uh, aren't going to take that goat and throw it on the fire. He had to wash it. But here's what a lot of people miss in the scriptures in the good Lord's book there. The, the good Lord tells Moses, make sure he puts that meat along with the fat on the fire. He didn't tell Moses to cut the fat off. So I, I don't know where this all started along, uh, you know, in our culinary uh, <laughs> things that we do today that you're supposed to cut the fat off the meat because clearly in the Bible, if it was good enough for the good Lord and he demanded that the fat be on the meat, um, that that's the way it should be done. And, and so... Um, they built the fire, they, they built this pit, they chased down their goat, they chopped it up, washed it. And so picture this. You have two Jews who have just worked all day building this, this, this altar made out of stone, which is a barbecue pit. They, they went and had to chase down this goat. They had to chop it up, clean it, and then they had to build this fire. Now, I'm sure Aaron is hungry that all get out. And at some point, you got these two guys watching their best goat smolder away on this smoky fire that Aaron didn't lead over to Moses and say, Moses, do you think that the good Lord has had his fill? Because I am hungry. And I know Moses leaned over to Aaron and said, mm-hmm. I think the good Lord has had his fill. Let's dig in. Mm. So all this business about burnt offerings in the Old Testament was really nothing more than for the the, the Jewish race to have some good old-fashioned backyard barbecues. I like and it. And as, as the scriptures say, and the aroma was pleasing unto the Lord. Man, a, a good barbecue, there's nothing better than that smell. Of the now smell. that preaches, right? Yep, that, that preaches. preaches. Not only that, when the good Lord made our better half, he didn't use a shin bone or finger bone. He used a rib bone. Mm -hmm. So right, right there, 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 there's all the reasons that you have that uh, my life's work is God-ordained. There you go. See, better half, <laughs> Eve. That's a good That's a good move there. Yeah. You'd never want to say, you know, it was just the creation. It was the better half. I love what you're going with there. Also, it turns out the Old Testament was the original recipe, the recipe book. I mean, that's... Phenomenal. Wow. Never really would have figured that out. Yeah. That's amazing. But I wanted to touch on one thing that you said earlier about average. And we, so we tag our podcast as your wildly average podcast. And people come to us all the time and they're like, why do you guys say that? Like, why do you guys say you're average? Like, it makes no sense. Like, why would you do that? And to your point, it's, it's, you're either the best of the worst or the worst of the best. And that's what a lot of people view average as. But how we attack it is through humility. We attack our average qualities, the things that we aren't either good or bad at. And we try and hone in on them, understand that we're not great on them at this time, but turn them into strengths. Because if you leave average qualities, you leave certain things in your life that are average, they will become weaknesses. They will never just become strengths over time. So we always try and focus on those average qualities to then become better people, yeah, have better yeah, strengths. No, nothing ever stays average. Nothing ever stays even keel. E even keel. You're either growing or you're dying, and that's just life. Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's not something we as humans uh, you know, said that's how it is. That, that, that happens in nature. 
uh, it, uh, that either something's growing or it's dying. Mm. There just no, is no uh, even keel. So I, I agree. I, I think uh, everyone needs to turn their, their weaknesses into their strengths. I, I think that, uh, uh, especially though, if you got something that you love to do, you're passionate, um, you, you want to, there's something that drives you to be good at it. You know, and especially barbecue. I, I, I don't think anybody ever started out just to have a good rib recipe or have a rib recipe. You know, they, they want to have the best ribs on the block. They want to have the best ribs in town, the best ribs in the city, the best ribs in state, the best ribs in America, the best ribs on the planet, the best ribs in the universe. You know, there's no, there's no stopping. And uh, I, I think for me, uh, going back, uh, you know, how you get uh, approval is you go compete against somebody else. You know, mm. uh, competition is good. Whatever you do, you always need to test yourself against something better and, and something that you, you need to push yourself. You got to be able to sharpen sharpen the axe. You, you've got to you know test yourself to get better. Plus, there's a certain camaraderie when you're competing. That uh, you know, one thing I found out that whatever. Whatever the competition, your competition, even if they're better, will always help somebody else. And in the same way, in the world of barbecue, um, in, in my lifetime, I've had many uh, people that I've respected that were great pit masters that uh, uh, took me under their wing and showed me a thing or two. And in the same way today, I am very open with other uh, young people or, or people who are new to the barbecue business and uh, giving them you know, my tips, my, you know, something that might help them uh, the same way somebody helped me when I was uh, starting out. Do you have an, ex uh, an, uh, an experience or an example of that when, when something might have like kind of smacked in the face and hit you in reality, like, wow, I actually need to do this in barbecue to move forward or these people well, are doing these type of things? Not necessarily barbecue, I think just in business. Okay. I, uh, when I first started in business, I, I wasn't in the barbecue business. My first business I started was in Chicago Back when I was 19, I started out uh, as uh, a wholesale florist. I was planting up these little dish gardens that I was selling to florists in Chicago. And one of my first accounts uh, uh, was Richard Lang Florist on Addison Pulaski, Jim Ashner. And um, he, he was always kind to me. And, you know, one of the things I always tell young people is that uh, in my life, I never have really worked for a paycheck. Uh, I've always worked for the opportunity, and I always say, you want to work for tomorrow's opportunity, not today's paycheck, because tomorrow's opportunity is always greater than working for a wage, an hourly wage today. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I was very grateful. I've always been uh, a grateful person. And uh, so Jim Ashner, who gave me his first, uh, my first order for my little dish gardens, and I can remember it. To this day, uh, he was my first uh, account that I went to go visit, and he was working on a funeral arrangement and couldn't see me. And the gal who manages his office had said, uh, why don't you go wait someplace, and uh, he's got to finish this funeral arrangement. When he's done, he'll see what you got. And so I went and waited. I waited, waited. It was like two hours, and uh, th this uh, gentleman came out of the florist. Uh, I, I was sitting on the 
bus stop on the corner. He came out. He, he said, Anderson, he said, I understand you got some stuff that I need to look at. He said, come on inside. So I, I went inside. He said, I can't believe that you were waiting there for two hours. I, I said, well, I, I told your I told the lady that I, I would wait. He said, well, young man, if you waited that long, let's see what you got. And so he took a look at my little box of samples, and he said, this is some beautiful stuff. He said, uh, I'll take a dozen of that, a dozen of those, a dozen of these. He said, matter of fact, just get me a dozen of everything. And I'm trying to write all this down. And um, he, and I, and I look up at him, and I said, Mr. Ashner, do you think I could just bring you like a couple of each? <laughs> and he said, Son, we, we've, we've got Mother's Day right around the corner. This is beautiful stuff. I can sell it all. Uh, why can't you deliver me uh, the order I gave you? And I told him, well, I'm just starting out. And I really didn't have the money to, to get all you know all that. And yeah. He looked at me. He looked at me. He was uh, checking me out. And he said, you know, uh, Andy, you look like an honest young man. Uh, if I pay you up front, can you promise me that you're going to give me you know, what I'm asking for, bring me a dozen of each, as beautiful as what I'm looking at. I said, yes, sir. And with that, he yells over his shoulder to Anna Marie. He says, Anna Marie, write out a check to this young man for $736.35. I remember it to this day. That day back in 1971, I walked out of that florist with a check for $736.35. It was more money than my dad made in a week. And I knew I was just getting started. But where I was going with this, one of the uh, learning lessons was, uh, as I said, he took me under his wing. But one of the things he shared with me, he said, if you really want to get started in life, he said, join your local chamber of commerce. Because at, at the chamber of commerce, you're going to meet other other people in business who are who are there to support the community. They're there to support other businesses. And they're there to be watchdogs over the neighborhood from a, a regulatory standpoint. Uh, they're there to band together, to be strong in the community. But you're going to meet the movers and shakers in your community. And sure enough, I met my first banker uh because back then, I was starting to grow with my little business, and I must have went to 100 banks, you know, trying to raise money. I, I had, back then, I had nobody to back me. I was just uh, uh, starting out in myself. And that's one of the hardest things when you're starting out in business to, is to have access to capital. Hmm. And, uh, and I kept getting turned down, all these banks. So they would ask me the same thing. Well, what kind of collateral do you have? Well, back then I had no idea what collateral was, you know, and I, and I can uh, remember at this Chamber of Commerce meeting uh, one, one day the uh, president of the, one of the local banks was there. He came up to me. He said, uh, he said uh, Mr. Anderson, he said, I understand that uh, you have a, a flower or plant type of business and uh, we are opening up a new branch of our bank and uh, we would love to have you come and set up your plants in one end of the, the foyer. Uh, on the other side, I'm having one of our guys pass out hot dogs and balloons and popcorn, uh, and you could sell your plants. 
I was I was thrilled. I was excited. Uh, so I that Friday night I went and polished up every leaf in these little dish gardens I had and uh, every plant. I, I, I spent all night polishing up every every leaf. Never done that again. You know, but I, I wanted to make a good impression. And mm -hmm. the next day I showed up. It was Saturday. Um, the bank was having this special promotion for new accounts. And uh, I sold out. And, and, you know, banks always close at 12 noon. And I was starting to put my empty boxes away. And the banker leaned around the corner of the door. And he pointed at me. He said, Anderson, I want to see you in my office. I was scared. I didn't know what to think. I thought maybe I pissed off one of his customers. Uh, so I go back to, you know, I went down this hallway uh, in the back of the bank, and I'd never walked on a thicker carpet in my life. Went into his office. I never saw a desk bigger than what I was looking at in my life, you know, because, you know, I was just some Indian kid growing up on the west side of Chicago there, and, um, you know, and I've never seen anything like this. And, and the banker was looking out at me from behind his desk, and he said, uh, Mr. Anderson, that was pretty good this morning. I, I saw how you greeted uh, my my customers. I saw how you handled uh, yourself. You're, you're, you're an enterprising young man. You're, you do really well with your, your product. He, he said, you're the type of young people we'd like to support our community. He said, I also understand you're trying to uh, get a bank loan. Is that true? I said, yes, sir. I, he said, well, what uh, what kind of loan are you looking for? I said, well, I need about 10000 bucks." Well, 1971, that was a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And so he asked me what every banker was asking me before, and I kept getting turned down. He said, well, what kind of collateral you have? What does collateral mean, by the and, way? And I still didn't know. I, 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 <laughs> I said, well, what's collateral? And he said, young man, he said, it's assets. Oh. And I said, Assets. Well, I said, I got a big one. Does that count? No, <laughs> little, little, little side joke there. Um, that correct. He, he, said, uh, he said, things of value. You, you know, what, what do you have of value? Well, back in 1971, I'm 19 years old. Just started my business. I said, well, I got some brand new jeans. I've got uh, some records. I, you know, back then we had vinyl records. You know, mm -hmm. like, What'd you have? Uh, you had like Pink Floyd or something? Uh, uh, I had The Who. I had, there you uh, go. Uh, I, it's been so long. Rod Stewart, I, Again, the Beatles, value. you know. Oh, I wish I, I wish I had those albums today. Mm -hmm. They'd be worth a fortune. Uh, and I got a brand new stereo. He said, son, I need things of value, collateral. I said, well, I don't have any. And so he looked at me and he looked at me. Finally, he said, you know, he said, I, I see you at the chamber of meetings. You're, you're always there. You always help out. You always... Help clean, you know the you know the chamber uh, offices. He, he said uh, you're you're really uh, you know you're very positive, and uh, uh, I, I saw you work with uh, you know your customers today. Uh, you got a great product. He said uh, we we don't do this ever. He said, but I'm going to take a chance on you. And with that, he reached into his drawer, pulled out his checkbook, wrote me out a check on my signature alone for $10,000. Wow. So, I, you know, I, I share these stories because really anything is possible. Uh, and like I said, I think the, the story of Famous Daves is really a story of against all odds, uh, a story of rising out of uh, nothing. 
uh, a story of humility, a, a story of gratefulness. And, and and I'm hoping that, you know, people who listen to this and, and they see, you know, next time they see a bottle of Famous Dave's barbecue sauce or, or today I have another company called uh, Jimmy's Old Southern. Um, if they see that bottle of barbecue sauce, that they'll buy that too. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I think... Uh, like anything in life, you, you have good times, you have tough times, but you can't ever give up. Can't ever give up. And I think one of the coolest things is how you walked around and carried yourself during the toughest of times. Um, and when things weren't going necessarily your way or when you were in a, uh, in a position that you didn't have Famous Dave's and, and it's at its pinnacle. But at the earliest stages, you... You were at the Chamber of Commerce. You were doing your duty as a as a as a, as a community assembly. member yeah. and just helping others. I think that's one of the coolest things that the banker saw you and was able to witness you doing those type of things and took a chance on you because of all the things that you were doing behind the scenes, just out of the goodness of your heart. I think that's awesome. Well, uh, part of the story, I. I uh, you know, I have attention deficit disorder. I, I think that's another part of my story is was that I wasn't the brightest kid in class. In fact, I always tell people I was in the bottom half of the class that made the top half possible and really seriously thought I was the dumbest kid in class. Uh, and it wasn't until years later that I found out that I had attention deficit disorder, which explains a lot of things, you know, why I could never focus and why I was always daydreaming in, in class. But today I've learned how to, you know, like we were talking, turn my weaknesses into strength. And so my not being able to focus, I've learned that's called multitasking today. Mm -hmm. And my looking out of the window and daydreaming, that's called visioning. So <laughs> I've, uh, yeah, you know, but interestingly, um, you know, if it wasn't for an art teacher telling me, he said, Dave, you see things that other people don't see. I would have never heard that from a math teacher. I would have never heard that from an English teacher. And, and so today, you know, you know interestingly, I, I, even though I was like one of the dumbest kids in class and, and always, always at the principal's office, they were trying to figure out how to throw me out of school. Uh, today, I'm asked to come speak to high schools and colleges and universities and share my story. And one of the things I always tell them you always want to be nice to your A students because they may come back and teach for you, but you always want to be nice to your D students because they may come back and build you a school. <laughs> That's right. Or build you or make you some barbecue. Yeah, but you but the other thing is you you never want to get rid of your arts. You you know, we should never get rid of music. We should never get rid of uh, art because I I wouldn't be here today yeah. if those classes didn't exist. Uh, but going back, uh, so anyway, I, I share that story of attention deficit disorder because if anybody's listening to this, it may seem like like I'm all over the board. Uh, but going back to Jim Ashner, one of the things uh, I used to do is uh, when he was busy, like during Mother's Day or a holiday, Christmas, he he would be so busy, and, and you know the floral the florists. Uh, our unique industry because unlike a toy store that can stock up months in advance, when you're dealing with live plants and live flowers, everything's done within the 24 hours to 36 hours before uh, before the holiday. And so they're, they're working around the clock. So I would go into his florist store and I would sweep his floors. I'd, I'd bust down boxes. I'd run orders for him, you know, make deliveries. 
and, and I never wanted to be paid. And he'd say, Anderson, he said, I've never seen somebody work as hard as you do and not want to get paid. And I said, well, I feel like I'm getting paid because you're buying my, uh, you're buying my, my uh, little dish gardens wholesale, and uh, I, I'm just grateful that you've given me this opportunity. And, 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 you know, and I think today there's so many people that live frustrated lives because they're always wondering, well, what's in it for me? You know, mm-hmm. what do I get first rather than giving? And, and really success in business isn't about getting more than it is giving. And the more that you can give to other people first, the more that and the more that you can make them happy, the more they're going to want to do whatever they can to make sure you're around. I agree. I think the uh, we talk about it on our podcast all the time. It's this idea of reciprocal altruism. Have you ever heard of that? No, it sounds like uh, it's exactly let, what you're let saying. Let me give you something and and it's good. Exactly. Exactly. You yep. basically it's basically in in average guy terms it's giving without expecting anything in return. And when you do that and you create that culture, you buy into that is when you actually get the most back. Right, because there is a uh, there there is a magnifying effect mm. that when you bless into the life of somebody else something positive. And, and that's one of my mantras today. Uh, my whole purpose in life is just to make you happy. And I, I think when you have that type of mantra, when you have that type of uh, uh, goal in life, that uh, the more I can bless into somebody else's life, something that's positive, um, the more the universe returns back to you. Mm-hmm. But again, you don't do it for expectation. You do it because you genuinely and true. Uh, truly care about the welfare of other people. Mm. Do you think you've you've seen that more now in where you're at in your own life, or do, have you kind of, or have you have you seen that grown? I guess because just kind of peering into you know when you're in the grind of making and enjoying those backyard barbecues, you know, presently being happy in those moments, but then now now that you're kind of more removed. I mean, you're still in it, but understanding and looking back on it more reflecting have you seen yourself kind of grow that it is more about this whole giving back mentality i think that uh, as you become more successful the more you're able to give and it's not necessarily money it's it's time it's advice it's uh, doing podcasts like this and yeah. uh, sharing with other people uh but yeah i i, I think that uh as uh, I think you'll find that most successful people do genuinely share uh, what they can with other people. Um, I I think one of the uh, greatest lessons that you learn is that if you're clogging up the pipes, you know, nothing can flow. Uh, So, you know, there's a two-way street is that you just, uh, you know, like I said before, I, I don't think I have ever worked for a paycheck. Um, I've always worked because I felt I had something to give. I like making people happy. The more people I can make happy, uh, it seems to me that they like keeping me happy. Mm. There you go. And what better place to do it in like a restaurant atmosphere? I know you talk about this all the time where it's like you, you're, you're building a community almost of, of, of people who are dedicated to coming and enjoying barbecue together. 
And what is a dinner table? It's it's a it's a gathering of all your favorite people most of the time. You're having conversation over food that you love. It's well, awesome. and I, I think that's what barbecue is more of a lifestyle rather than as a a way of cooking. Mm. Uh, I've said that many times. You know, barbecue is uh, about having good friends over and along with good music and good drink and and some really great barbecue and you have good conversation. You. Uh, you know, it's a it's a good fun time, and uh, so that that's why I love the world of barbecue, and, mm-hmm. and uh, been feel I, I feel very fortunate to have been in barbecue. That's incredible. I feel like I want to master the grill as well, but I am so small brained when it comes to figuring out the the grill. If you have any tips of like the perfect thing to buy for uh, a guy who's only good at cooking hot dogs and broths. Okay, now now I now I have just figured out the 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 real reason why you wanted me to eat. Correct. Yep. So subversively, you've been waiting to for me to spill the beans and get my secrets here. Well, well That's right. we, we 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 can share a few secrets. We're just looking for an opportunity. Uh, well, well, if I'm going to do this, uh, whoever's listening, if you're driving, you better roll up a shirt sleeve and write on your arm because we're going to spill the beans on what it. Uh, uh, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, I'm always asked. Well, Dave, what's in the secret sauce? And I always tell people nothing but love and kisses. Mm. You know, I, you know, for me, I, I think uh, uh, whether it's good barbecue or just good food, because I've always said that famous Dave's or now uh, Jimmy's Old Southern, that more than anything, we're just about good food. Um, and, and I've spent before I opened the first famous Dave's, I spent. 20 some years working on my recipes and i think that's where the attention deficit disorder comes in because one of the character traits of a attention deficit disorder person is they're also ocd so like i'm like a pit bull if i um if i'm doing something i don't give up on it until you know i'm satisfied with it so i'm the type of of you know i can get really anal about to making a recipe uh, 200 times. So if a recipe's calling for mustard, uh, you know, I'll go out and buy 150 mustards and I'll make that damn recipe 150 times until wow. I, I, I know that, you know, I've got the right mustard, i got the right seasonings, and it's the right uh, recipe. But that's why Famous Dave's, I believe, has always lasted this long. You know, a lot of restaurants, 50% of them close within their first year or two-thirds of them close within the first year, and 50% of those close within the next five years. And so we've been around this long. Sure, we've had our ups and downs, but uh, through it all, the one thing that has always come across that everybody understands is they all love the food of Famous Dave's. And um, so um, I, I, I think where this starts is that you start off with good quality food. Uh, you know, uh, and then the next thing is seasonings. Now, I'm a believer that you got to fresh grind your seasonings. And so we fresh grind our seasonings uh, uh, using real fruit juice in my barbecue sauces. You know, th- those are just some of the things uh, from the from that standpoint. But then, too, it's not rushing things. You know, mm-hmm. having a smoldering fire with burning embers and just slow smoking your meats uh, till they become juicy and tender. Uh, you, you know, I think steaks need to be cooked fast over a, a hot, uh, hot coals. But uh, uh, barbecue is something that you, you need, it needs to 
take its time. It needs to run its course. And, and then, uh, you know, it's a layering of flavors. You know, it's the uh, seasoning the meats and letting them sit in the seasonings. It's uh, uh, slow smoking. It's uh, uh, slathering on your homemade barbecue sauce. It's caramelizing the sauce on the flame. These are all little things, but when put together, they really add up to making some great tasting, juicy barbecue. Mm, I love that. I can't wait to get after. You know, you're going to see me in the kitchen just grinding up the fresh seasoning and, and squeezing on the fresh juice for my barbecue, and it's going to be so wildly average. Yeah, but yeah. but again, it's just like it's, it's gonna, that trial and error, it, and hundred percent. And over time, you know, it's just kind of like this constant feedback loop of like, okay, I could add a little bit more mustard here. I can wait a ten more minutes here, and it's just that yeah. constant dedication to like understanding and making that great product why are my breakfast burritos so great because that's the only thing i've ever made consistently right but why are my chicken breasts horrible because i googled it one time and i go that route and it hasn't paid off right there's a reason for all these different things well and also putting all the components together um you know having the right music uh making sure you got a clean environment having friendly people that you know there, there's a lot of things that going that that go into creating a great experience mm. and, and so famous dave's really isn't just about um a uh, a, a a meal more than it is a great experience and yeah. so uh when i first started out here's something that uh, your listeners will probably find interesting um something you probably will never hear from anybody else uh, a lot of people tell you that in life you have dreams and that you should take and write down your dreams. You should then uh, decide, prioritize those dreams, put a, some benchmark time frames to them and turn them into goals. Well, one of the things that I did when I first started Famous Dave's was I wrote down 100 things that I could excel at. I wanted to have 100 things that I could be the absolute best of the best at. I wanted to have the best ribs, the best honey buttered cornbread, the best homemade creamy coleslaw, the best barbecued baked beans, the best melt in your mouth Texas beef brisket, um, you know, the best music, uh, the, the, the best bathrooms, you, you know, and let's go back to music. Um, yeah, what kind of music are you listening to? Well, back making? then when I started Famous Dave's, it was the blues. All right. But one of the things that people don't probably wouldn't recognize though is that i am probably one of the only founders of a company that hand selected every single blues song that was played in a famous dave's now you will have uh, like i have a, a good friend uh, phil roberts who founded buca de beppo now he hand selected all of the type of music that you would expect to hear in an italian eatery called buca de beppo um but where he didn't go where I went that, that, you know, like I said, you'll, you won't hear this from anybody else. I actually went to beats per minute. So uh, the, the famous Dave's playlist in the beginning, uh, consisted of four songs to a set, two sets to a rotation Four of the, uh, three of the songs were 112 beats to 124 beats per minute. Um, the, the fourth song came down to about just 110 beats per minute. And then every second set, I'd put in a Cajun Zydeco song to break, break it up. Uh, but my whole thought process there is that 
is you want to tie it into the the heartbeats of your heart. You know, the heart uh, normally has a pulse of about 60, 70 beats per minute, except when you're dancing and, and you got this rhythm going on like this, where you got everything about you is moving, you got to bounce your head. That's about 122 beats per minute, 124 beats per minute. So if you can get the music uh, going and people are having a good time while they're eating this good barbecue, uh, but that's how important even something as small as the beats per minute in the songs that I picked out. Plus there was no Roots Blues, there was no uh, John Lee Hooker, you know, some of that old, it was just the wrong beats per minute um, uh, for my barbecue joints. But that's the attention to detail. Yeah. That That's uh, making a list of a hundred things that I could absolutely be the best at. Now, interestingly, when I started that back in 1993, uh, you didn't have social media. Mm. And, uh, but there was always these, uh, uh, what did I want to call them, recognitions. Like uh, here in our neck of the woods in Minneapolis, Twin Cities, you have uh, city pages. And every year they come out with the best of the best. Mm-hmm. You know, who, who's who got the best uh, burritos in town? Who's got the best fries, the best burgers? Who, who's got the best barbecue joint? Who's got the best music? Who, who's got the best music? Who's best got the trips? best podcast? Who has the best brunch? Who has the best place to take your first date? Mm-hmm. So I made a list of those things. You know, I wanted Famous Dave's to be the best place to take a date. And so I wrote that down. So these were all the things that I had on my best of the best list. Now, interestingly... As City Pages came out, or the or the Minneapolis St. Paul Magazine with their yearly best of the best list, or St. Paul Newspaper, or the Minneapolis Star Trip, when they came out with their yearly best of the best list, Famous Dave's would always get recognized for something, whether it was best ribs in town, or best place to take a date, or best lunch, or you know best Sunday brunch. Right. Um, which we used to have at the Blues Club, we used to get those recognitions. Now today, it, it even gets more, uh, you know, interestingly, Traction. because you get uh, search engine optimizations, mm-hmm. because the the spiders that are out there. The more times you get mentioned in these best of the best articles, the the, the more your uh, recognition becomes for your business. So the, the you know that's something that a lot of people, you know, don't really think about. Yeah, but I mean, it even even boiling it down, that same business model of like what it was like in nine in ninety three is just in a different platform now, right? Mm-hmm. If we have enough people talking about our podcast with you and just saying how great it was, or this is the best of the best, or I really enjoyed this, it's all it all really comes back down to those referrals, these algorithms on Instagram and social media, these search engine optimization rankings, and everything that Google does will take care of you through those processes but when it really comes down to it, it's just hey the people that come into my restaurant or the people that come on this podcast or anything they love it they're happy right and they enjoy it and then that's that's the spark right that's that's the one thing that you want want to do that's going to then amplify if you continue to do it over time mm-hmm. and do it great and sometimes we're and not- how fortunate you guys were to have me on the, your podcast today that's Absolutely. right <laughs> very fortunate we thank you so much and, you know, sometimes we're not the best at being an interviewer or um, putting out the right content on social media. And we are yeah, just, sometimes some, we just do this on the podcast. Sometimes it's we're just like, worming around. This is a bad idea. Yeah, it's just not a great idea. And uh, that those are our average qualities. 
when we, again, like Declan mentioned, we hone in our average qualities to make them our strengths. And I'm curious uh, with you, Famous Dave, do you, what would be your average quality right now? Uh, I, I think anything that's average, that uh, something I'm not focused on. Mm. I, yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm, I, I think I'm a great cook, but there's a lot of things that I, I'm not good at that I Maybe what? Maybe another uh, culinary, uh, like Italian or yeah, maybe I, a Mexican. Yeah, are you average at making Italian food? Can yeah, you make I, a good spaghetti? I, 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 no. I, well, I can make sauce. I can make a great. Okay, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I can probably knock off any sauce in the world. Uh, uh, but pasta, I, I, I don't make pasta. I probably should have a barbecue spaghetti. It's it's big in Memphis, but I don't know if it'd be big up here. But I I don't make fresh pots pasta, so I that would be an average thing okay. for me. But okay. uh, you know, I here's an interesting thought. I don't major in minor things, so I don't mm. spend my time wondering about that. Mm. You know, a lot of people major in minor things. I don't. I I, I you know I. I don't major in minor things. I love that. And going right off that, so maybe Italian food is your average quality. But the next question is, what's in your back pocket that's made you famous Dave Anderson? What has been that one thing that you kept along with you this whole time that's allowed you to be you? Well, I think the story of famous Dave's, I think when you look back, um, uh, and, and by the way, generally what's in my back pocket are notes. Mm. <laughs> I like that. I, I, I encourage uh, everybody to carry a little uh, notebook with them in their back pocket because uh, you get million-dollar ideas, and most million-dollar ideas never get acted on because people lose them, they forget about them. But uh, um, your your memory just never serves you enough that you shouldn't have something in your pocket that you're always keeping notes on. Uh, but I, I think for me, when the story of Famous Dave's gets told, is, is that people will see a young Native American kid growing up on the west side of Chicago, thinking he was a dumb kid, um, never believing that he would be where he is today in life. Uh, but the story is that um, it doesn't matter where you come from, doesn't matter what you've been through. The only thing that matters in this country that we live in is that if you work hard enough and you have dreams and you work to to make other people happy, that anything is possible. And, and I really believe that. You know that. Uh, uh, you know I today it's interestingly uh, I I was in the bottom half of the class where I went to school. I wasn't the smartest kid in class. I was dealing with attention deficit disorder. Uh, but yet today I have a master's degree from Harvard University, and, right. and I don't have an undergraduate degree. In, in fact, it wasn't too long after I got my master's degree. By the way, it was a, it was fully paid for. Uh, not only paid nice. for my tuition, but paid for my room and board, paid for everything, and including living expenses. It was mm-hmm. a full ride to go to Harvard, and I did you uh, give him beef tips in return? <laughs> <laughs> Um, it, it was interestingly, uh, you, you know, what's interesting about education, um, you know, you can learn the same things in a community college as you can in a school like Harvard. The only difference is that your peer group is that different. Used, yeah. Uh, but I, the things that you learn is, is different. Uh, but I, I, I do think um, 
uh, see, my attention deficit disorder just kicked in. I have no idea what we've just been talking about. Well, I actually wanted to take it another direction with what you brought up about education, because that's really cool that you got to have a full ride scholarship to Harvard and really understand, like, oh, th- like get, get yourself put into that situation. But I want to ask you, if you were to uh, kind of put yourself back into maybe 17, 18 years old, and you had an opportunity to go to a school where you went to classes, but they were all tailored towards things that you either really like or may like. So well, you were, let, it, let's, let's change it up a bit. Let's, let's think about what happens now in academia. Mm-hmm. When kids are in grade school, their parents tell them to do what? Or let, let's start with high school. Let's actually start with high school. When, when a kid is in high school, the, the parents are on them like to no end. You better study hard. Why? To get good to get grades. grades yeah. To get good grades, right. And why do you need to get good grades? So you can go to college. So you can get into college, right. And when you're in college, you need to study hard. Why? To get To get good grades. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. And the reason why you need to get good grades? To get a job. To get a job when you get out. And why do you need to get a job? So you can... Get a house and get a car. And that is the reason why people live frustrated lives today. First of all, you don't learn how to do a job in school. Yep. You know, school teaches you how to think, hopefully. But I, I believe that the that education would be totally different if we did this one thing. That Going back to something I said earlier, is that you don't become successful by getting you become successful by giving. So if young people would start learning at an earlier age, what they are learning is not for the purposes of getting, but what they are studying is to be used to make the life of somebody else delightfully happy and to understand how what they learn helps make other people happy. I think it would turn education up and it would totally, totally re- uh, it would re-engineer how revolutionize. It would revolutionize. That's the word I was looking for. It would revolutionize how education is is taught to young people, um, because you're not learning to get something. You're learning to give something to make somebody else happy. And what you're learning helps do that. I just, uh, you know, and I, and I really think that, uh, you know, going back to what I said again, that education that uh, School and education doesn't teach you how to work. Um, so folks who know I went to Harvard um, often ask me, well, where would you send your kids to school? And I think I often surprise them when I say, well, I think I would send my kid first to a military boot camp for six months where he learns responsibility. Because even as a parent, you know, uh, sometimes we're, we're either not the best with best role models for responsibility or uh, sometimes we have a hard time with our our kids teaching responsibility and some parents are good you know I credit them but I I do think some there's something about military boot camp where you absolutely learn responsibility to take care of your stuff mm-hmm. and the discipline it takes because I think one of the the criteria for being successful in life and by the way being successful in life has to do with the numbers of money, uh, and I, I say that numbers. You you have to know how to manage the numbers, 
in order to manage numbers, you have to have discipline. And the same thing with creativity. A lot of people think, uh, and you know, un, un, unless you're a, a prodigy, a musical prodigy that can just pick up anything and play, for most people, music is a discipline. Uh, for cooking, you know, I just can't pick something up and make it, even though I can today, but it took me discipline to learn how to uh, understand the, the herbs and the seasonings, to learn uh, how to, uh, the discipline of managing the flame. There's a lot of disciplines to cooking like I cook. Um, but I, I, I think uh, uh, discipline is very important for young people growing up, responsibility. Um, and so um, after military boot camp, I would send them to an outward bound school where they do frightening things like winter camping, uh, rope challenge courses, uh, climbing 50-foot tall uh, telephone poles, uh, rock climbing. Challenging themselves. Things, yeah. uh, you know, most of our young people today are not challenged beyond their known physical limits. Um, I think we've lost some of that today because of lawsuits. You know, you, you got the picture of Woody Hayes picking up the football player by his shoulder pads and whacking him and telling him, get back out there on that f football field and not to come back until he's left everything out on the field. You can't pick a, a player up today and by his shoulder pads and slap him up. You know, you get sued. But I, I do think that uh, kids need to be challenged, uh, maybe not by physical force, but they need to be challenged beyond their physical limits. And, and uh, you know, I don't know if you guys have seen Whiplash. Yeah, the movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, you know, clearly, clearly, the the kid was pushed probably to some areas like he probably shouldn't have been pushed. But, but to that level, we all have something in us that needs to come out. That sometimes just the personal effort isn't good enough. That that they need to be challenged to really find out what they can do. Yeah, and, and so uh, military boot camp. Uh, outward, bound. Out, outward bound and then from there I think there's some soft skills uh, learning how to speak in public you know you may be listening to me today thinking wow this guy he, he's he's good being able to share his thoughts he's good at being able to uh, get people motivated uh, being able to speak in public where people are willing to pay him well, I think a lot of people would be shocked to find out that I was the shyest kid in class really? and that it took me years to be able to do what I do today, uh, taking notes, um, uh, actually paying thousands of dollars. You know, I, I've gone to voice coaches. So I have a different voice when I, when I do public speaking, and I have this voice that I probably fall into naturally where I speak like this. But typically when I'm in front of a group, I have a whole different speaking voice. A whole baritone. Now, now I had to learn that. Um, so I, I have uh, spent $10,000 on a three-day class on how to do food cooking in front of a camera. So I have invested back into myself. And a lot of people, they don't invest back into themselves. They go through college and then they never go to another a seminar or a training seminar mm -hmm. or, or take uh, classes and spend a lot of money on them to get good, it, which is interestingly because every professional person has coaches. 
You know, look at Tiger Woods. He has a putting coach. He has a swing coach. He has a driving coach. He has a health and nutrition coach. He has a physical fitness coach. Um, probably has a PR coach. You know, there's a, a a lot of professional coaches. I have coaches in my life that I pay. You know, I I, I take cooking classes I, that I pay for. I've really? I, I have a PR person. I have a uh, uh, you know, I, I have uh, financial advisors, you know, yeah. but I, I have a lot of coaches in my life. So, uh, and it seems like a lot of people don't want to spend, they don't want to invest in themselves to keep learning to be professional. Mm -hmm. And at some point, they're a little bit comfortable with where they are and they don't want to be challenged to be pushed to that next extreme. And what we do and what we love to do on the back pocket is to challenge ourselves in every moment of the day. And one way we do it is by trying to get that next big guest or that one of the guests that fits into the mold of Famous Dave. Because when we have you on, that opens our, our doors to potentially someone else that you want to hear on our show. And I was, so that's what we want to do. Is there someone that you'd like to challenge us to go out there and get onto our podcast? Well, I, I don't know how hard you'd have to challenge yourself, but I would go after Steve Schussler. Uh, the founder of uh, Rainforest Cafe, okay. and also yeah. he's got T-Rex Cafe, uh, Boatworks at Disney, one of the most successful. Uh, again, his story is amazing, uh, a lot like mine, started out with nothing, but has some of the busiest restaurants in Disney. In fact, Disney has told him, Steve, out of all the people that we meet, you have out Disney Disney. Really? So I think if you could get the uh, sheet, I, 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 by the way, I, I would um, be, I'd welcome, I, I would be happy to provide the introduction. To awesome. Him. We appreciate the that. opportunity. Thank the you. Opportunity, yeah. Is he a Midwest guy? He, he lives here in the Twin Cities. Oh, oh incredible. wow. Then I think I read, did, have you worked it, with him in it, the past too? It, 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 I, I think he will tell you that I was his first investor. Yeah. Okay. To I saw help that online. Rainforest Cafe get started. But you should actually do this in his offices. Okay. Okay. Like in a in a rainforest cafe. No, in, in his he has an office in St. Louis Park that would blow you away. Okay. Oh yeah, we would. I'm totally in for that. Absolutely. That sounds amazing. I I have a one quick question for you. You know there are tons of Daves in the world. Um, I I would say, probably guess there's over a million Daves. Are you the most famous Dave? <laughs> there is only one famous Dave, and, and I know that to be true because. Wherever I go, people go, hey, there's Famous Dave. <laughs> yeah. It's awesome. I got to ask you, though. So when did you, like, why Famous Dave's as the name of a restaurant? Um, it was really kind of a, uh, a mistake. Um, we had started the first uh, barbecue restaurant in Hayward, Wisconsin, a little town of only 2,000 people in the north woods mm -hmm. of Wisconsin. And, and, and actually, when I was building the place, people would drive by and they'd say, Dave, what are you doing? And I'd tell them, I'm building the world's best rib joint. And they would look at me and they would say, are you crazy? A rib joint in Northwoods of Wisconsin, much less Hayward? Why, there's only 2,000 people in town. And besides, they're all Swedes and Norwegians and some American Indians up here. And none of those people know, first, know the first thing about barbecue. You should go down to Memphis or Kansas City, Nashville, someplace where people really know and love barbecue. But I had a dream. And remember, folks, that your dream is more important than anything else. And because I never gave up on that dream, I opened up my first rib shack in Hayward, little town of 2000. By the end of that first summer, I was serving almost 6,000 people a week 
and never advertised. People literally were driving hundreds of miles uh, to come there and eat. And uh, but um, I can remember. Uh, no idea where so, was it? so how did the famous Dave the oh, name of the so, place come to be? So the the name so, so you like cut out all this stuff, right? No way. This no is way. The good, <laughs> this is the juice. Hey, you just said the meat meat on your barbecue in the fat, yeah. you keep. It's in the old testament. We're not we're not gonna trim the fat. Dave. We're not trimming the fat. We're not trimming the fat. No. Well, I, I, you know, maybe it's a good thing because people can see that I actually do have ADHD because sometimes I have no idea where I'm at anymore. And guess what? Uh, Some people uh, who are listening to this who have it are like, no way, I'd do the same thing. Yeah. No uh, worries, uh, man. Okay, so so how we got the name. So um, before we were getting ready to open up, I actually opened up calling the restaurant Diamond Dave's mm. Barbecue Shack. And then I had some guy in Iowa named diamond dave i guess he had some sort of restaurant down there that and, sounds uh, like a place that might be like a, a strip sc- club a strip or, or a brothel a little, a little scary <laughs> <laughs> anyway he he threatened to sue me and i i went down to iowa and and i i tasted his food and said you know what you keep the name i'll change mine there you go and, and, and so uh we were actually naming it uh, dave's famous barbecue mm. shack and uh my printer uh, had uh, printed up the business cards and uh, came back and said, uh, Famous Dave's Barbecue. <laughs> I, I was so disappointed. I, I, was, I was a little angry. And my wife, in all her wisdom, she said, Why don't you just keep it? And I said, Well, there's already a Famous Amos Cookies. I don't know if I could do Famous Dave's Barbecue. Uh, she said, Well, who, who will know? We're just uh, up here in the Northwoods of Hayward, Wisconsin, you know. No way. Uh, and uh, so we, we opened up with, uh, so uh, we opened up as Diamond Daves and then we switched over to Famous Daves and the rest, as they say, is history. That is such a cool freaking story. Yeah. I would have never looked at that it, at it that way. That's so cool. I always, I, when I drove by it, because well, I'm from Denver and, um, you know, I think there's a couple locations there, um, actually right by my high school. But recently I saw one out here. I was like, God. How much does this Dave guy have to be an asshole to call himself famous? <laughs> <laughs> what is this? Yeah. But now that I know the story, now that I, I went out of my way to get you on the podcast yeah, just to make you know, sure. And, and by the way, though, I, I um, uh, you know, I, I've been sober 24 years. And mm. uh, I um, congrats, by the way, uh, I uh, uh, have often said that, you know, if this that the notoriety that comes with famous being famous Dave's uh, that I don't want to use it for self gratification, mm. but uh, I want to be able to use it to open the doors that we do. Uh, we, we do have a leadership from the heart uh, type training program that we do with at risk kids. And uh, we, uh, you know, it's a very challenging type course. Uh, you know, there's a lot of leadership things that, you know, you do in high school or college. And a lot of it's, a, you know, like kumbaya around a campfire and, Everybody goes away happy, happy. Well, mm-hmm. this is not it. We we actually have a very challenging uh, two day, three day course that uh, people uh, have to. They they either make it through or they quit. Really, it, it's that challenging. Uh, but that's what we need today because mm-hmm. you, you know, as much as I'm a very positive person and I want to be about energy, positive energy, which we really need. Uh, I also. Uh, more than anything, need young people that don't quit and wilt under pressure um, when times get tough. 
And, uh, you know, that's one of the things we don't teach in school. We don't teach problems 101. I don't, did any of you guys take problems 101 in school? I did not. No. But no. yet, that's probably the fundamental. Uh, there's three fundamental things that you need for success in life. One, you need to understand that life is about change. It's always about change. And if you get tripped up by change, it's because you're not willing to change or you're not open to change. You know, you guys are young. In my day, change happened like every 10 years. And you're, you know, you're, you're having all that happen in one day of your life. Yeah, in 10 years, Facebook it, goes from nothing to what it is today. Yeah, and, you know, computers, I, I, I don't even know how you keep up with a computer these days. <laughs> and even you guys are younger than me, but I think it's bypassing you too, oh, yeah. even at your age. Mm -hmm. um, so the next thing is lifelong learning. You always have to be learning. And I actually study four hours a day. I'm always learning something every day, seven days a week. Um, like somebody said uh, uh, something about retirement. Uh, yeah. are, you, are you in retirement? No, I'm not in retirement. There is no such thing as retirement. Retirement is, a, um, is an industrial age uh, concept. The same thing with 40-hour work weeks. There are no such things as 40-hour work weeks. Or there are no such thing as uh, retirement. Besides, you don't want to wear out. You, wanna, or you don't want to rust out. You want to wear out. Mm. So, you know, before the industrial age, people would go to work when the sun came up and then they worked till the sun went down and then they quit when they fell over in the field. Mm. So I think we're back to those days. So, OK, so then was there one more thing after lifelong learning? You said three things. to success. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, problems, adversity, mm. um, problems, and adversity is, is, you know, when you're going up that ladder of success in life. You're not going up that ladder of success in life because you work harder and are smarter. You're going up that ladder of success in life because you have stepped up and accepted the the the, the willingness to take on problems. Mm. And when you go up that ladder, guess what? The, you know, people say, "Well, when you go up that ladder, I'll be able to tell this person to handle that problem." No. You not only have your problems, but you have everybody else's problems, too. Mm -hmm. So, you know, adversity, like love it, embrace it, uh, grow with it. Because if you're just floating along in life and, and you have no problems, guess what? You're dead. So you're not I, I, think, I think when, you're, when you get slapped with a problem, you know, that, that's the good Lord. You know, he's up, he's watching you kind of coast along in that. Yeah. And the best part about a problem, though, is it can open up another door, and it, and you can try to push yourself and Always. get through it. Exactly. Always. Um, but we've been hammering you with questions now for a, a little over an hour. We love to open up the door to you asking us a question, and if you if you have any for us. Um, what are you going to do with this? Mm. This very podcast or the podcast in general? Uh, this podcast in general. I would say, well, I want to take this to the moon, and I want to make as many possible people or as, make as many people happy as possible. I want people to listen to this stuff and get the same emotions that I get just listening to your story. I think it's so cool that we now have worked two, two and a half years to build something where we have that impact. We literally get to have people tune in live right now. We have people that will tune in on Monday listening to this thing. And it's crazy. I, like, I never would have thought that we could do that. You know, I never like I never I never thought I had that in me, to be honest, because 
I'm getting emotional, but when you like when you look at like you said college, and you invest all that money, all that freaking student loans that we get in now, that's for you. That's that's what you have. Now, what are you gonna do with that, right? You can you can take the corporate job and and be steady Eddie, even keel, like you said, or you can you can use the, what you've learned and continue to learn and and amplify how you learn and use that and try and build something that you care about. And that's what this is. And wherever this goes, wherever it goes, man, I don't care as long as it's making people So basically people happy. what you're saying is you're using this to reach people. You're using it yeah. to make a positive difference in your community. So I, I congratulate you. I, I feel honored to have been on your podcast today. Let's uh, keep it up. We can, uh, you, there's enough stuff in this, uh, you know, uh, I call them street smart strategies, things yeah. I've learned the hard way that uh, somebody can learn in, uh, in an hour listening to your podcast. Mm-hmm. And so let's do this again. Let's make the world a better place. Absolutely. Absolutely and you've provided so many sound bites, and I'm so excited to get after and chop them up and share it to our audience. But we'll finish with one last question, a simple question. What did you learn today? from the moment that you woke up to when we're having this incredible com- inspirational conversation that we just had. I, I've, uh, I, I think this podcast has opened up a, a new idea for me that, uh, you know, I often wondered how I can take the stuff that I've learned uh, and be able to somehow share it with people. And I think I have uh, discovered my outlet here. I, I, That's I think awesome. you guys ask great questions. I think you have uh, gone through, uh, you know, I, I always believe there's a time and purpose for things and how things happen. There is no just things just as a coincidence. Uh, so I, I believe that, you know, we probably could have done this uh, a year or two ago, or, or but I don't think it would probably have been as meaningful today because you know what to do with this today. And you knew, and you now know how to expand and get it out there. That uh, I, I think uh, together um, we can do some crazy, incredible things and in making our part of the world a better place. Amen. Thank you Amen. so much. We do appreciate, appreciate your you time. Dave. Hey, and all you guys listening out there, make sure you tune in to Crushing the Competition <laughs> with Back Pocket Podcasts. Amen. Thank you so much. That's a wrap.